Hello, and welcome to Revolution 22's teaching podcast. We are a church from the downtown area in Boise, Idaho. Thank you for joining us today and hearing this week's sermon. We pray that God's word will be received and will bear fruit in your life. Thank you very much. You know, it's a weird season that we're in. I was teaching first service, and I'm up here in a longer sleeve shirt, and I'm sitting here going, oh, man, it's dying. I'm watching people out there doing this. I'm like, oh, no, someone forgot to turn the heater off. I get over there. It was 71. And I'm like, oh, we've been used to the, the cold a little bit too long. It's finally getting warm. I should feel all right at 71. So I'm glad you all are here, and I really mean that. I know on days like this where we have men's retreat, it makes me uh, realize a little bit better that, that certain people chose to stay, certain people chose to go. There's moms who likely woke up, and, and there was kids who didn't get out of bed, so they just stayed there, people who hauled them here. And so I just want to thank you for how God used the providence of this morning, that you are here this morning, that you are fellowshipping with us. And so thank you so much for, for doing that. Um, our passage this morning in James is James 5.12, and it's just one verse, so we're going to start by looking at it this morning. It says, But above all, my brothers and sisters, do not swear, either by heaven or by earth, or by any other oath, but let your yes be yes and your no, no, so that you may not fall under condemnation. And we've lumped this passage in the piece that we've been calling about God's perspective, godly perspective. And James has been working in this section, uh, starting in James 4, 13 through 17. You know, James was trying to talk with us there about God's plans, his timing and provision versus our timing and provision, and his encouragement that we should be able to say this, that if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. And then James went on in James 5, 1 through 6, and he reminded us that our riches are not our hope and that they will ultimately fail us. Uh, More importantly, though, than that, we have a mission. We have a mission that we have been called to by our great God and that we are to use everything that we have at our disposal to further the, the beautiful ministry of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Sadly, too often, I know I fall under this kind of condemnation, this kind of indictment that you've laid up treasures in the last day. Now, this idea that we forget that this is the last days, even though it's been several thousand years that since Jesus came the first time, he's coming again, and we don't know when that is, and we want to be excited living our lives for this great commission that God has called us into. And then last week, Brent did a great job of reminding us what James says in in James uh, 5, 9, where he's talking about having patience and the right attitude. But it's not just any patience. Rather, it's this kind of patience. Do not grumble against one another, brothers and sisters, so that you may not be judged. Behold, the judge is standing at the door. In this last days, as it were, where Jesus is standing at the door, ready to step back in to our existence, that we would see him visibly as he comes to rule and reign, We are to remember him. We are to think of him, and we are to not be frustrated by how slowly we all are sanctified. (laughs) We should want to find grace for others when we think about how, how slowly we have been in process and how patient God has been with us and extend that same kind of grace and mercy to them. But then we come to our passage this morning, and it says this. It says, but above all. I mean, that phrase should make us wonder, how is James using this section? Is it the beginning of his conclusion, or is it part of this godly perspective? Where should we place it? And I would say both places. It seems like James is doing two things with this. 
He's beginning to wrap up all the different ways he's been talking about godly perspective, but he's also thinking about the larger goals and the things that he's been encouraging us about throughout his entire letter. Now look at these last few verses that we just talked about and how they build, even though there's not necessarily a coherent logic. You know, in James 4, 13 through 17, we're reminded that God has a plan for our life, so we should humbly submit to what he is doing. And in James 5, 1 through 6, he says that our resources are not meant to rot by piling up, rather they're to be used for the plan that God has for us, our great commission in the last day. And James 5, 7 through 11 reminds us that we are all slowly working down this path of living out our calling rightly. So be patient with one another in the plan and the timing of God. He's, he's moving us down this road of understanding the plan of God and how we take a part in it and how, how we have our hearts rightly attuned to it. And then he says, but above all. But above all is one of the main focuses on how to live well on mission, in God's mission with one another and having godly perspective. But the language itself of ultimacy should help us to see how James is pulling at other threads throughout this letter and how for James, it's likely signaling the ultimate perspective that we have missed throughout our entire life and the reality that he's exhorting his readers and that he's exhorting us to think about throughout the entire letter. So what does James say, says is that ultimate concern? He says, make your yes your yes and your no your no. You might be like, that's a little too simple, <laughs> maybe a little too easy. But then I wonder as we begin to look at it, if you might also start to wonder if it's a little harder than you thought it was. You know, probably the first thing we have to consider when we look at this section is the scope of James's statement. He started out by saying this, but above all, my brothers and sisters, do not swear either by heaven or by earth or by any other oath. And those words, swear and oath, are trying to say the same thing. It's the idea that we would appeal to something transcendent, something beyond ourselves, usually God, a God, as, as, a, as a witness to the veracity or the truthfulness of what we're going to say. You know, for me, it makes me think of this very formal idea, kind of like going to court, you know, putting up your hand that you're going to be sworn in, or signing a legal document attesting to something that's true or your promise to pay back your mortgage for 30 years. You know, but that context, that formality, doesn't really make sense here. James has been talking about interpersonal relationships. He's been talking about how we deal with one another daily. And so for him to switch gears and go very formal doesn't seem quite right. You know, it might help us to look at Matthew 5, Matthew 5, 33 through 37, where again, it seems like James constantly has the words of Jesus in the back of his mind, and he's trying to bring them out to these Jewish Christians that he's writing to, to you and me. And here's what Jesus said here. Jesus said, again, you've heard that it was said of those of old, you shall not swear falsely, but shall perform to the Lord what you have sworn. But I say to you, do not take an oath at all, either by heaven, for it is the throne of God, or by the earth, for it is his footstool, or by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. And do not take an oath by your head, for you cannot make one hair white or black. Let what you say be simply yes or no. Anything more than this comes from evil. James's and Jesus's statements sound very similar. You can see the continuity here. In fact, that's why many scholars think that this has become some sort of like re repetition, uh, some sort of phrase that people would use often because of how closely these two mirror each other. You know, what Jesus is doing in this section of Matthew is going back to the law and trying to rightly orient people's hearts to it. He's trying to deal with where, where the Jewish leaders have added to it and asked people to do things that they really shouldn't or where they didn't take it far enough and actually help people understand what God is really caring about. You know, they, they are both speaking and concerned primarily about the heart. 
And Jesus here isn't doing something where he's trying to talk about a legal requirement between people, how it works out in their culture, but rather he's trying to get down to what is happening inside of their own hearts. You know, Jesus started this by talking about Leviticus 19.2. He was quoting it, and here's what it says in whole. It says, you shall not swear by my name falsely, and so profane the name of your God. I am the Lord. And we can see here that the real concerns, not that we wouldn't just take an oath or swear in general, but rather that we would do it falsely. That in doing so, by connecting God to our false actions, that we would somehow profane his name, that we would, we would take his good and glorious and true identity and tie it to one that is broken and failing. And it's also helpful to see places in scripture where, where we see that formal vows are not prohibited. We can see this in Deuteronomy 23, 21. If you, if you make a vow to the Lord your God, you shall not delay it, fulfilling it, for the Lord your God will surely require it of you, and you will be guilty of sin. But if you refrain from vowing, you will not be guilty of sin. You shall be careful to do what is past your lips, for you have voluntarily vowed to the Lord your God what you have promised with your mouth. And we're told here that that vowing can be okay, but you also aren't required to do it. The real issue is where is your heart in it? You know, we see something similar to Ecclesiastes 5.4. We also see other places throughout Scripture where God's people take oaths and vows to one another. Joseph does it in Genesis 42.15. Hannah does it in 1 Samuel 26, uh, 126. Abner, Saul's commander, does it in 1 Samuel 17.55, and on and on and on. And interestingly, we see both those kinds of swearing or oaths, doing it towards God or, or something kind of more formal by culture in Numbers 32. We see if a man vows a vow to the Lord or swears an oath to bind himself by a pledge, he shall not break his word. He shall do according to all that comes out of his mouth. Again, that passage doesn't say that it's wrong to make a formal vow either to God or by your own pledge, but rather to make sure that you fulfill it. And as I see eyes starting to glaze over, you're probably like, this was not my first concern when I read this passage. Am I really okay taking a formal vow, signing contracts? I've done that a lot in my life. Maybe some of you have been to court many times. But it's interesting that there are groups of Christians who would come to these two passages, James 5.12 and Matthew uh, 5.33-37, and they would make an argument that you shouldn't make formal vows or formal oaths ever. You shouldn't ever do that. It seems fair when we look at all these verses together to realize that Jesus and James are both pushing primarily in these passages on the issue of your heart, that when you have an option in a conversation interpersonally with other people and you have a chance to give a yes or a no answer, are you going to add oaths and vows and swearing to that sort of thing? How we can take something that could be very normal and okay and good and then warp and twist it in our hearts to use it in a self-serving and sinful way. You know, when we stop thinking about this verse as something really formal, this idea of big-time oaths in court or signing documents, and we think about it just in our interpersonal day-to-day life, At least for me, I began to see, oh, this happens all the time. Maybe you would see it too. I mean, for instance, think about it for a moment. Did you fail to do something that you said you were going to do this last week? I did multiple times. In fact, it wasn't hard to think of one as I was coming up with this sermon. I, I, I had the chance last Friday to encourage some of the guys who are up at the men's retreat who practiced before they went up there. And one of them noticed I was taking notes on my computer, Cameron Lloyd. And he, he said to me, hey, would you send me the, the notes that you took after I'd given feedback? I'm like, yeah, you pretty much have them, but I can send it to you. It's no big deal. So I wrote it on a sticky, set it on my desk. And there it sat. And Sunday, when I saw Cameron and bumped into him last week, I'm like, Cameron, I totally haven't sent it to you. I'm so sorry. I totally forgot. I'll get back to you. And then Friday morning, as I'm thinking about going up to men's retreat just for Friday evening and Saturday morning, there on my desk is that sticky note. 
I'm kind of thinking, poor Cameron, this probably isn't very helpful at this moment <laughs> to send him any sort of feedback right before he talks. So I cross it off to pretend like I'd actually gotten it done, and it was good sitting there on my desk. Now, I didn't, I didn't take an oath, but I definitely know that I can't say this, that my yes was my yes or my no was my no, so that I may not fall under condemnation. Making oaths or vows or swearing along with our yes or no, it, it has a background concern that James hopes that we've picked up by now, and especially as he's been working through this section of godly perspective. You know, he wants us to be thinking about this idea from James 4, where it says, as it is, you boast in your arrogance. Or as we saw Jesus say in Matthew 5, 36, and do not take an oath by your head for you cannot make one hair white or black. Behind all these concerns is the reality of we are not in control. God alone is in control. We often want to act like we are going to know exactly what's going to happen throughout our week and every day, but James has reminded us that we can't do that. We don't know God's plans and where he's taking us. Jesus has affirmed to us that we don't know this. We can't even control any of the hairs on our head to turn them white or black if you're over 50 or try to keep them from falling out as much as you might like. We aren't in control of what happens to us over the next couple minutes, the next days, the next weeks, the next years of our life. And even though I didn't intend it, my task of emailing Cameron fell by the wayside. And if I was honest, if it was important to me, I would have sat down in that moment and just sent it right off to Cameron instead of putting it on a sticky note on my desk and hoping I would get to it later down the road. You know, I told him, I'm sorry that Sunday, I probably owe him an apology again that I didn't get to him. But I, I realized that for me and for all of us, we need to remember that God is in control and that I am not. And it's hard to admit that much of our failings, much of my failings, come from our lack of, of, of wanting to agree with God's sovereignty and the ways that he orders things. Now, God didn't intend for me to fail Cameron. God just didn't intend for me to promise something that I didn't know I could do or make a good plan to engage with it. God had many good things for me to do this week, and I'm sure there's many ways in which I didn't use my time rightly. And yet my largest failure was not acknowledging God's providence and being clear with myself and even Cameron when things weren't happening to realize that I had planned on something that I, I didn't know if I could get to. You know, this may not have been the first thought again that you had when you thought of this, but it's behind so many of the things that that we do and the ways that James is trying to encourage us to realize that the first wrong heart that we often have when we think about saying yes or no is assuming that we are ultimately in control and we can make sure that it will happen the way we want it to happen. That's a mindset correction that all of us need to happen. It's undoubtedly unintentional in many ways for us, yet it's a problem nonetheless. And the answer isn't to not make plans. It's to acknowledge God's sovereignty, whether we say it aloud or not. That would seem to make this a continuation of what James has been saying throughout this area of godly perspective and how we need our perspective changed, even in something as small as what we say yes and no to and realizing what we can control. Even if our acknowledging God's sovereignty is the backdrop that we sometimes are, are, are not thinking about or thinking about when we say yes or no, and we unintentionally fail, there are ways that we all intentionally use vows and oaths and swearing amidst our yes and no in a way that is sinful. I think that's more directly James' concern here and what we probably should be thinking about most clearly as we see this. And I think it's because we so often do fail, because we don't want to quickly acknowledge the sovereignty of God and the things we're not in control of, that we oftentimes make this second mistake. We make an oath to justify ourselves and avoid a necessary change. We do it to justify, to avoid what we would actually have to deal with. 
And that's one of the first ways we can purposely misuse oaths and vows. We try to show that we really, 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 really mean it this time. Right? I, I know it's happened before, maybe a hundred times, but this time it really won't happen. Have you ever said anything like, I'm so sorry I was so late? I lost track of time. It won't ever happen again. Sorry I left you at school. I double booked my calendar. It really won't happen again. It won't happen again. Phrases like that become memes because we use them so much in our lives. It's a way of justifying. It's a way of trying to overlook and avoid dealing with the real problem that is going on in our heart. And even if you don't use those exact words, we all do this in one way or another. We want to help cover up our failures by how we respond to others the second, the third, the hundredth time that we've made a mistake. We we want them to know more that our intentions are good, even if our execution fails. And yet, instead of truly working on apologies, acknowledging, repenting, even stepping back and saying, man, what God had planned for me this week was not what I thought it was, and I'm so sorry how that didn't help you. We tend to look to cover ourselves up as much as possible. And that's the same heart that Adam and Eve had in the garden, right? It's said differently, but here's what they say. But the Lord God called to the man and said to him, where are you? And he said, I heard the sound of you in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. He said, who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten of the tree of which I commanded you not to eat? And the man said, the woman whom you gave to me to be with me, she gave me fruit of the tree and I ate. And the Lord God said to the woman, who is this? What, what is this that you have done? And the woman said, the serpent deceived me, and I ate. She made me do it. He made me do it. They're not using the word oath, but they are deflecting and justifying. They are avoiding instead of heartfelt examination and growth. My question for you in this arena this morning would be, do you do that? Do you make statements, promises, oaths to actually justify yourself and avoid dealing with the core issues in your life, hoping you can move on? You know, sadly, we can also use oaths and vows and swearing intentionally wrong in another way. We try to use them as a loophole, a loophole in our life. And the Jewish leaders of Jesus' day were prolific at this. In fact, it's likely why Jesus added this exact phrasing into Matthew 5, where he said, Do not take an oath at all, either by heaven, for it is the throne of God, or by the earth, for it is his footstool, or by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. Some Jewish leaders had this system where if they said a promise a certain way, they couldn't get in trouble for it. But if they said the promise the other way, then they were in trouble. In fact, one of the exact ones was this. If you swore by Jerusalem, ah, that wasn't that big of a deal. But if you swore towards Jerusalem, I don't know why that's different. That was a really, really big deal. And you are now held accountable to what you said and would be punished by it. I think these are all the types of things that Jesus is throwing into Matthew 5. He's looking at at these leaders and saying, knock it off, as it were, and, and really quite literally stop acting childish. I mean, we all know this. This is the adult version of, I have my fingers crossed, right, behind your back. Any of you kids ever done that, right? We, we can look at that and say they didn't have any intention of doing what they said. They were hedging their bets, making it look like they were in agreement with others to avoid maybe an uncomfortable moment, an argument, or to simply move things ahead, but they weren't going to do it anyway. And now before you say, whoa, I'm glad I'm no longer in the third grade and do things like that, let me ask you a question. Have words like this ever come out of your mouth? I'll think about it. Or as parents, we'll talk about it. Kids in this room, raise your hand if we'll talk about it usually means Yes. 
It usually means no, right? <laughs> right? We all know that, and we all have those kind of things that we say in our life, these little oaths, these, these little vows we make that in reality mean we're not going to do it. Couples have it when, when they're talking with other people, when inside you can tell they look at each other and they're like, never in a million years are we going to do that, but you're our good friends, and we're not going to say that right now, right? Or, or the, the little, little white lies that people say to other people to try to not hurt their feelings, you know, have you ever made that kind of vow or oath instead of just a simple yes or no to try to find a loophole to saying yes or no in the moment? You know, all three of these ways that we don't say yes and no properly can help us understand, begin to see why James would say that this idea is above all. You know, we wrongly think about our yes and no when we act like we know the future plans of God in the ways that we can't really ever know them. We wrongly use oaths and vows, yes and no, rightly, when we use them to justify ourselves and avoid areas of growth. We, we wrongly use oaths and vows and don't use our yes and no rightly when we try to justify ourselves, justify ourselves and we use them as a loophole to not be clear and honest with others about our intentions. And together, when we start to take those, we can see that there's an above-all concern that James is beginning to identify in our life with each of those struggles and ways of using yes and no improperly, they begin to point to issues with our identity. And when James says, let your yes be yes and your no be no so that you may not fall under condemnation, it is as much about being honest about our identity as it is just about how we make oaths or break them. Now, what would it be like if you were radically committed and admitted that you don't ever know what will really happen in your day? that you are infinite or that you are finite and that God is infinite, that you lack knowledge, but God knows. For some of us, that would be a tremendous weight off of our shoulders of expectation that we put on ourselves to know exactly what's going to happen. And it often would be a tremendous weight we would take off of other people to not put on them to know exactly how things were going to happen as well. For many of us, it'd be getting off the treadmill of people pleasing, trying to make sure it always goes according to plan and never letting it fail. Yet all of those would give us many ways to honor God by looking to him and trusting him in our hearts and in our conversations with those around us. You know, what if we radically admitted that we, could, that we have failed and that we will likely fail again? And the only hopeful thing you could say in a moment like that was that I look to Jesus Christ as my only hope, the one who dealt with my sins and who has given me his very Holy Spirit that he might make me more like him. What a sweet witness that would be to our world. What a sweet encouragement that would be to one another when we all are failing. What if we radically admitted when we didn't want to do something instead of hiding it? Would things turn out so badly if we talked about our preferences and our abilities to want to do things with loving care for others instead of hiding? If we affirmed our friends' values despite the fact that we might not want to do it the same way? What if in each instance... We simply said yes or no to the reality of who we are in God. Each of these ways of answering the situation of our life would ultimately point us and those around us to see and know and love and cherish God more. Making our yes our yes and our no our no is one of the simplest ways we can be clear about our identity and point others to the hope that we have and they should have in Christ alone. And this 
This is the idea that James is reminding us about constantly, that he's not talking rightly about living as God's sons and daughters as though it's a checklist, but rather it's something that comes out of us, a new identity that we have in God. It's why he's been sharing with us so much about who God is and that we see it throughout his letter. We see how good our God is and how singular he is in James 1.5. Now we see that he is the father of lights and that there is no changing or variation with him in James 1.17. We see that he is our God who is fully righteous in James 1.20 and that he is our God who shows no partiality in James 2.1 and on and on throughout this entire letter. This is truly an above all perspective change that we all need to have, knowing who we are, knowing who God is, encouraging us to simply say yes and no for James is an identity issue and not just a check it off the list to prove I'm doing things well issue. James is encouraging us to simply say yes when we know and mean yes, to say no when we know and mean no, because in every conceivable way and every example possible, that simple action would clearly point others back to God and his amazing ways. It will rightly help us live our identity in every moment as those who both rightly and wrongly at times, image God. The ways he has saved us, even though we're sinners. The ways he is perfect when we are not perfect. The way he, through his Holy Spirit, is trying to draw us further into the light and conform us day by day to make him more like himself. You have to ask ourselves, why would you not want to do that? Why would we not want to simply say yes or no? Why would we even unintentionally forget about God's sovereignty over our lives? Why would we try to justify or avoid our failures? Why would we purposely hide our feelings through oaths and vows? And ultimately, it's because we're liars. We don't like to admit the truth of who we are and what we need. Remember, the original lie came from Satan the same way in the garden as we already looked. But the serpent said to the woman, you will not surely die. You know, Satan took the very truthfulness of God and warped it and twisted it to his own desires and his own ways, which is what we do so often in this manner with our yes and our no. And we need to remember that's why he's called the father of lies in John 8, 44. And we also need to remember that those who are false, those who lie, who can't say yes and no, are those who eventually will be outside of God's redeemed creation. This is what Revelation says in 21 and 22. It says, but nothing unclean will ever enter into it, the new heavens and new earth, nor anyone who does what is detestable or false, lying, but only those who are written in the Lamb's book of life. Outside are the dogs and sorcerers and the sexually immoral and murderers and idolaters and everyone who loves and practices falsehood, lying. The kind of lying that's talking about here can be as simple as lying when we don't make our yes our yes and our no our no in any manner of normal everyday conversation, but it can also be when we are lying about the truth of our very identity, that we are sinners redeemed by God in Christ Jesus who are being sanctified still today by God's Holy Spirit. That's a hard tension to walk out in our life all the time. We desperately need to know that we are redeemed and that there's hope beyond what we see today and such a glorious message that we have in Jesus Christ. It's our only hope that God has done what only he can do, which is take the penalty of our sins that we wouldn't bear it. And yet we still live today as sinners. And we have the deposit of the Holy Spirit, the promise that God is working within us, yet we long desperately for the day when we don't continue to give in to our sinful fleshly nature. This is one of the beautiful side effects that can come out of living with your yes, your yes, and your no, your no. 
You declare daily that, yes, I am a son or a daughter of the Most High God. Yes, I am called to live a righteous life, not to prove my worth, but out of a loving response to my Father who's loved me. Yes, I am a sinner who has failed. No, I won't pretend like I am sufficient. No, I won't buy into the lie that I need to hide, but I will instead trust in Jesus Christ. Being careful with our yes and no is simple because it deals with small and large conversations. And it's extremely hard because it cuts to the core of our issue of believing that our identity rightly is God's beloved sons and daughters who have been loved by God's grace alone. But above all, my brothers and sisters, do not swear either by heaven or by earth or by any other oath, but let your yes be yes and your no be no, so that you may not fall under condemnation. This is James looking back at his entire letter and saying to you and me, to those he was writing to, friends, this is so easy yet so hard. Live out of the identity that God has given you to live in tension with the fact that you are still in progress. You do not need to appeal to anything other than our God who has been and is so good to us. We do not need to cover up our sins because God has dealt with it for us. We are called to walk consistent as God's sons and daughters and consistent by admitting our failures in doing that, our hypocrisies, and entrusting ourselves to the very same God that we proclaim others need in all those ways. We want to walk and live a life consistent with our yes and no. First in how we speak and engage with those around us in our plans and our justifications and our temptations to hide, but importantly, in our yes and no about who God is what he has done for us, our fight to love him and battle against our sin and how he alone is our salvation. That's the simple requirement in James 5.12 and how it's really above all. If you are true to your identity, you don't need us at all. A simple yes or no should be true and consistent with who you are today and who God has promised you he will make you into in his Holy Spirit. Do you believe those realities are true for you? Are you okay that God has loved you where you're at this morning at great cost to himself? Are you okay that he is calling you forward as a son or daughter and is is calling you to walk consistently with your calling and also consistently with your current state of sanctification? Can you, by God's grace, say yes to his beautiful call on your life and his gracious identity for you and say no to the brokenness and sin by the same grace and mercy? Would you pray with me? Father God, that is both a simple and a hard call, a hard reality to be able to say yes and no, both when it comes to small conversations and ways that I want to justify myself, ways I want to hide, ways I don't want to acknowledge your sovereignty over the things that you've done in the past week, but God, even more so when I have to say yes or no, and it reveals in me the identity that I sometimes want to hide from the identity that I'm called as a beloved son to walk with you and the identity that I'm still a sinner in progress. Father God, thank you that you are sufficient for that. That in our yes and no, you can be made much of and you can be glorified in front of all those who believe and those who have yet to believe. That they might see a God who loves us right where we're at today, who's calling us into a further relationship with yourself through Jesus Christ. It's in his name I pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to our podcast. 
To find out more about our church, please visit revolution22.org. We encourage you to not neglect meeting together as believers. And may you continue to love God and love others.